0: Welcome to our very first podcast, everybody. My name is Angelos Nicolaou and I'm the director of Sector. This is a series about the lives of the creative geniuses that are building the world around us. In today's episode, we're speaking with Mr. Costanzo Graffi. Costanzo is the highway sector lead for ACOM Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And also joining us from the Sector team is Michalis Solomondos, who is our vice president. And just a quick side note, we are dealing with some sound issues in this episode due to the pandemic, as. We are recording from home, but we do apologize for that, and we are working on fixing that pretty fast. Why don't yeah. you start by introducing yourself? Say your full name and your yeah. position in ACOM. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, uh, sorry so to- Okay. <laughs> just checking nobody's entering <laughs> because I got some inclusion of it. Uh, <laughs> it happens. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think we are on the same boat there. Um, so my, na- my name is uh, Costanzo Graffi. I'm the uh, regional director for, for ACOM. Um, in particular, I'm in charge for the highway sector in, across uh, the EMEA region. And I'm also in charge for the uh, setting up proper uh, relationships with uh, the contractors, contractors and contracting industry within EMEA um so that's my role i'm in acon since 2017 and mm-hmm. uh in the construction industry since 1999 so uh, oh.
0: you 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 have a phd as well so uh, uh, yeah yeah i
1: got the phd in uh, uh is in pavement engineering so i i graduated in di uh, torino in civil engineering master degree it's a five years course uh, in 2019 and uh sorry 1999 and uh and then i yeah i got my phd in pavement engineering in 2002 then i joined uh, what is now acom in uh, in nottingham at the time it was scott wilson it was a center of pavement uh, engineering okay. and then i moved back to italy working for a contractor for 10 years and and then i came back to <laughs> the Acom family after after well,
0: I i actually didn't know that you worked at a contractor and then you and then you, yeah. you went back to the consulting no.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm involved with uh, with setting up with the proper approach for the contractors. And uh, uh, because I, I believe in the life uh, on the contractor side, actually I was an EPC contractor. So I was a mix between engineering and construction uh, in terms of the culture of the company, uh, mainly uh, working in the oil and gas sector. I was leading the international development for uh, for the infrastructure sector. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, we, there were lots of cross cross fertilization. We called them that time uh, between the oil and gas uh, industry and the infrastructure industry. Um, considering that the oil and gas industry is a bit more developed in terms of project management uh, of of large schemes, um, mm. and that EPC concept is more coming from the big uh, petrochemical oil and gas plants more than uh, just the infrastructure sector, which is uh, I don't say cannot say a new new. Thing, but it's it's uh, say 10 15 years old uh, concept while in the oil yeah. and gas that's always been the case I mean uh, EPC contractors were normally integrators of technologies and uh, and civil works and different uh, multidisciplinary items um, mm-hmm. and that's where the good risk uh, management approach is coming from uh, proper construction mm-hmm. management and safety always been very high uh, normally higher standards than um, than the normal civil construction normal uh, yeah
0: and and, and yeah. where and where you really um you know it's it, it's it's more practice less theory you know it's more
1: yeah hands-on yeah it's yeah, uh, yeah, on yeah. the ground yeah. less, <laughs> you know, exactly. less, less then you learn the the weight of engineering uh, put on the site. i mean Mm. Uh, so, when I was in the contracting industry, I was kind of uh, considering <laughs> companies like Acom a bit, uh, ah, yeah, these guys don't understand anything, <laughs> because they, they don't work. to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that was a normal approach, I don't know, they don't have, and uh, being an Italian contractor, we say that we do yeah. everything, and uh, we do things better than others, so that's a bit also <laughs> a cultural limit. Uh, no, but that, in that's the end, uh, I mean, having lived the two worlds, uh, I appreciate the two different uh, added values in there, so that's why. Well, I feel quite comfortable in creating the link uh, between mm-hmm. a company like Acom and companies like uh, the Skanska's or the CCC or the, yeah. because I think they, I, I tend to understand where we can add value, where we probably we don't even need to to go, <laughs> because there are some uh, areas of expertise which companies like Acom better not to not to step in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, yeah. it's 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 good.
0: it's it's great that um you know you, you understand that. i i'm sure that's that's what's uh, helping you climb the ladder in a sense um uh, let's go back to your phd did you were yeah. you always a really good student um is that what you always wanted to do uh to to study uh, to study
1: uh, you know to do a phd uh no no everything came like a choice of the moment um uh, it's always been in my life. I mean, I I never really cared too much about studying. I mean, I had my other passions, like it was, you know, building small toys or uh, running my bike. Or, uh, things that have always been. Uh, so studying came as a kind of, uh, I need to do it. Uh, I, I better do it better, so I get rid of it and I can do my stuff. So that was a bit <laughs> my my concept. So uh, actually, in high school, I was I was I was quite good. I mean, I was I was not too bad. And uh, even in university, in the end, I my final mark was. Under the date or under 10, which is okay. I mean, it's uh, it was a good mark. Luckily, yeah. But there, I appreciate the teamwork because in engineering, as you know, I mean, either you f- you follow uh, the courses on time and you have a good group to study with, and you, you stay in the university a long time in order to work with the others. Otherwise, you don't pro- alone is really a, a tough, a tough, uh, tough place to be because uh, you get lost in very complicated uh, exams and, and very tight schedule. I mean, that, that was engineering. I was studying in, in Italy in Turin. So, so uh, relying on my team, uh, let's say, which was my group from study. I mean, uh, we managed to pass all the exams together and uh, with mo- more or less the same quality of exams. So we're ranging between wow. 27 and 30, uh, which is the maximum. So that's with less fatigue. So that's really appreciated uh, the importance of having uh, Selecting well your teammates uh, because mm. that could be an excellent added value to each other. I mean, it must be a team where everybody adds something, some value to the others. Cannot be just taking and not giving anything. So it was a bit of a, so it was a, yeah. the, the guy organizing the, the, the ski the ski day, or <laughs> there was a guy uh, taking good notes, and the other guy was the one uh, offering their house to <laughs> uh, to study together. I mean, everybody else. I mean, had the function within the team. Uh, and uh, I mean, it worked pretty well because we were always putting ourselves in the best condition to perform, and that's a bit probably what came up also in the, in life, no, in uh, in the working life. Engineering also was a choice uh, because my dad, is a civil engineer, and he said, "Okay, you can uh, come okay. work with me." So initially, I say why not? I mean, I understand mathematics, I start civil engineering, but I can I can't say I was passionate yeah. of building the biggest bridge in the world or uh, being a skyscraper. I didn't really care too much. I at that age I wanted to become a physiotherapist because wow. I was very keen sports <laughs> sport addicted and uh, <laughs> mm. I, I I had to learn I learned how to to take care of my my injuries so that okay, I can understand that and uh, and I liked, I would like to proceed in that route, but didn't allow me. I mean, that's my father <laughs> was a bit more uh, say, so, you no, know, maybe it's better if you study engineering. Maybe if you like it, you can do it as a hobby. Okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what will ha- would happen at the time if I proceed in that. But in the in end, I mean, I, I, I did the PhD because I I graduated quite young. I was twenty-three. Uh, for and uh, because I, I, studied, I started I start studying a bit any, any earlier than my age group, and uh, so I liked the that particular department it was very young people. So I like to stay a bit longer in university just because of a different uh, choice, not becoming in, be immediately a designer, but uh, which I didn't feel like uh, my career path, but want to do something different. Also for my father, probably because I wanted to differentiate, not to be the son. Mm-hmm of the great uh, bridge engineer of Turin, but uh, <laughs> which is true, I mean, he is really a great guy, but um, I didn't, wow. I felt it was different. So started studying a subject I liked when I was doing my, my thesis, which was pavements, asphalts. And uh, I liked it because it was like something different from the traditional, I mean, engineer, which I felt a bit rigid, uh, pavements mm-hmm. are something very, still very, um, more consultative than engineering. So you really need to understand a good experience to, to talk about it. Uh, you need to guess a lot, um, and that's probably where I joined my passion for physiotherapy and uh, and curing, taking care of pavements, Because I, I you had to interpret some data, and understand what is going on. It was based on uh, on experience, and mm-hmm. this has always been the life motif of my my career as well. I mean, I don't tend to not to stick to a particular scheme or a very strict uh, schematic. I like always to go somewhere with which is new or something to, we need to have some interpretations on guess. I probably have some risk to take as well. So I'm <laughs> a moderate uh, risk taker, let's say. Uh, wow. Like <laughs> risk, but, risk. Uh, I think that, that's, that's what I'm probably my, my, my character. Yeah. Is, that's, uh, I think that that's
0: some of the, I, that's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard from from people. You know, there's I I, I feel like there's two groups of people that study PhD people that are <laughs> obsessed with what they do and They like you know R and D and people that um, um, uh, just somehow decided to become an expert in uh, uh, in something in the because they they're they're you know a, a perfectionist and I guess. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that they don't take that much of a risk would you would you say that yeah. characterizes you that you're you're a bit of a
1: perfectionist or uh, uh you, you know i've been working business development for many years so you cannot be a perfectionist <laughs> if you want business development you always need to guess and to, to throw but if i start mm-hmm. doing the perfectionist i become a really a an pain in i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> the backside i mean I really become really really perfect i mean really yeah, tough in the details so i prefer not to go that that way because every, every time i did that i i went to extreme i don't want to go there <laughs> yeah. so as yeah. a wise rule of my life is prefer to be a bit more super, superficial but not too detailed but at least to to keep <laughs> detached from the details otherwise i'll uh, uh, yeah, it can become really, really <laughs> difficult to handle. And you and, and <laughs> feel that, you know, my story is that this dual nature there nature, uh, to, to fight. Uh, it probably is a bit <laughs> the Greek side and the Italian, Northern Italian side. That's a bit <laughs> probably part of education as well. A bit of a and
2: because also, when I was looking at your profile and saw the PhD and then I saw that you had a, a few mm-hmm. sales, head of sales roles and, and, and uh, in different companies. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious yeah. how. Uh, you saw this transition in yourself from going to from something very technical working from a contractor to now building relationships and uh, and and being in business development so uh, can you speak a little bit about that about this transition
1: yes Uh, there was a i mean when i did a phd then i moved to what was the most comfortable career which was becoming a specialist in what i studied uh, in the uk um, I think uh, the driver there was uh, to move away from the comfort zone, not too much to do what I was doing technically, which I really liked. I mean, definitely, I I mean, I think after I left the UK, I had uh, two or three years of uh, recruiter calling me back to go back to the UK in that particular role because I working especially in that particular company, I created a very good reputation. Uh, but I think the, the thing was... I liked it was mainly to, to change, to go away, to <laughs> to do something different, um, and that was an opportunity. When I went back to Italy, uh, I had uh, I came back to Italy because of family reasons, not because I didn't like the work I was doing in Nottingham or um, my first kid was born and I uh, wanted to be closer to families and probably also exhausted my uh, my time in the UK. I mean, I, I did that. I mean, I didn't want to stay much longer in in England. and. Um, uh, so we decided to change. I found a job which was similar to what I was doing in Nottingham and close to my own place, Turin. Uh, when I went there, uh, I was not fully satisfied. I didn't even start. And uh, luckily I received another job offer as business development uh, manager for a company which was my Engineering that became TechMind. And I decided to uh, invest more in my personal skills rather than in technical skills. And that's where I did the transition between the pure technical to something to build from scratch which was a bit of a challenge. I always like challenges. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had the boss with, who recognized that effectively we could do it together because we're just two people trying to build an international business development, uh, let's say, a structure within the company. And slowly we we structured it. We try, also started training people to act as a business developer or to write as a business developer. Even the communication in English was important. So my English experience helped a lot because I even worked in the UK also, the language was proper and I uh, could, I mean, again, lots of soft skills, not too much technical, but plus I understood what I we was talking about. It could be an engineer more or less. I mean, this development, you need to understand what you're talking about. Probably if you know more details, it's okay, but you need to get the key points and where the, uh, the, the value, of what you're telling for the client is. So, and of course, you need to understand what he's talking about. So I did that and after a while we managed to develop uh, a pipeline of project we we got i think in total in a few in two three years we managed to build up a pipeline of a backlog for the company of almost a billion euros which was a Mm. copenhagen metro at driveway. then we also won uh, um, a project in libya but uh, the war started so we couldn't proceed in that but we won it so in the end it was over a billion uh, Mm. which was the result of a few years of (laughs) Uh, restructuring investment of the company, of course. Uh, uh, we came second also to several bids in other countries. We won uh, design for the longest railway tunnel in, in the world. I mean, we did some good stuff with a team which was not more than a hundred people, um, wow. but they had good credentials and uh, we, we pushed on the quality. So to be part of the group, bring quality and uh, being an EPC contractor, we didn't have um, any equipment or anything to to repay, so we had lots of engineering and uh, good financial statements from the oil and gas business to to sell, Uh, so we were a good partner for a proper contractor who needed some drive from the where the balance between the good engineering and the construction fits well together because you can drive from the good engineering, you can drive uh, a a good procurement approach and then you can effectively monitor on site what you've been designing, so this continuity I think is key for the success of the project. Mm-hmm. And that's what companies like Yavi Marchese for example, in, in Turkey, understood because they are um, they they really were born as an engineering company and developed into a contractor. And normally, the quality of these guys is recognized very high high level because they are driven by engineering.
2: Um, On this transition, what would you say to somebody who's very technically oriented and wants to you know try something? And, and move out of their comfort zone and go into, for example, business development. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say is, is a few things they need to focus on mm-hmm. to get right? What, what would you say is the like, major skills or something particular that you would advise them to focus on uh, to make this transition successful? Mm.
1: Well uh, there is a few things I mean if it is highly technical person normally the first step to take that uh, just responding to you as because I, <laughs> I didn't get my this uh, question ever so um, mm-hmm. I think first of all is to become aware where you're living because mm-hmm. technical people tend to stay in their own locker and uh, and, and focus on the problem or I think it's very important to understand how the construction world is, is is moving around, and there is lots of information around to understand that. I mean, there are, uh, uh, I mean, uh, lots of uh, newspapers. There are articles. There are from politics to uh, to. Um, law, etc. I mean, there are many ways we can understand whether the what we are doing technically is fitting within a, a circle of life, let's say, because in the end, the uh, construction is part of uh, the economy, a global economy, and to understand what dynamics are behind the, the construction in order to understand how we can develop and uh, build the strategy. So business development is really uh, try to bring to your company something that we can do well or differently from others and uh, we can do it paid well, possibly, which means it needs to bring value. So, Technical, very technical person can understand well the value we can bring because they know very well what a company does and what they need to do is to understand where they can put in, in a contest which is yes. can be sold at a very good price. <laughs> so where they can be really part of, a, of, a, of the supply chain, where they can be uh, available and so can get paid the right, right way because um, typically technical people like to do lots of technical work they don't care about the cost, they don't care about the budget, don't care about, they just care about yeah. delivering an excellent technical outcome. But doing that, I saw company going basically to bankruptcy because they did a very excellent, I mean, excellent, doesn't say, excellent work, uh, but in the end they overrun the budget twice. And uh, of course, technical reputation is high, but in the end okay. the company goes bankrupt. And the business development guy is really the fine line, should really recognize a fine line between uh winning yeah. an excellent job and winning a profitable work and normally i think you should b- put more weight on the second than the first because or balance let's say so or to, yeah to make sure that we can deliver a certain level of quality by making money so that's a bit the thing that anyone should understand a bit and yeah, we really
0: see that over and over again um with with very very successful people uh that they combine their engineering skills together with their um, some business development skills that they have or marketing mm-hmm. skills or PR skills, uh, more, let's say, um, artistically creative, yeah, creative. Um, <laughs> um, a skills and, and less boxy and, and technical. Um, so it's it's uh, really interesting to be hearing that.
1: Um, yeah, I you. think. And that's, Which and that's part do point. you enjoy more? The, the technical or the... The creative, <laughs> the creative part. part. Sometimes I'm blaming the company because I propose uh, clients some services which nobody ever really thought about. So then we need to write a proposal. So <laughs> normally uh, my team in Madrid or UK said, "Now you write the proposal." You write the proposal. Is
0: it is it scary sometimes when you're in 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 the meeting and when you're in the moment and mm-hmm. you know an idea comes to your mind, but you're obviously working for 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 a a big organization and there's other stakeholders yeah. and you know you're on the cusp of saying it, is that a scary moment or do you just go for it?
1: Yeah, sometimes I need to reframe myself because depending how much I slept, or how much coffee I drank at the time, <laughs> I mean, some ideas come really, really <laughs> really strange. Yeah, so yeah, think think twice is always a good uh, I mean just make a rebound. I mean the more you know the company, the more these ideas can pass through your filter quickly, you no, know, because it's uh you have you know what is what is a matter in the company that can can be a no go? So, mm-hmm. uh, first uh, when I joined ACOM, the first thing, uh, the first suggestion I followed was become a good friend with the risk, ma- uh, risk director. At least, uh, first of all, you have an easier life because you can tell him things and he can help you in get it through. It won't be opposing to you because if he doesn't like you, you're dead. Every time you propose something, it's always negative. <laughs> but, on, yeah. but on the other side, yeah, you you. But these discussions, you really deeply understand why we don't go some things and what is the history behind some decisions. So yeah, um, thinking twice, becoming faster now because the more we go ahead, the more I have discussion with this. I mean, I'm involved in this risk, so you understand what is uh, the the company culture and the company policy towards these risks. And normally, this the risk committee is right in many things because mm. we had bad experience in the past. So these decisions or these objections or these comments you receive are normally based on something which were wrong, <laughs> wrong somewhere else. And uh, of course, their, their duty is to protect the company from uh, incurring unnecessary liabilities. And, and business developers typically expose the company to very high liabilities because they want to, they're really excited about getting a new project or getting involved in new client. So right, that's a bit of right. tension. If it is healthy, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it be,
2: no. um, I wanted to ask you something <laughs> on, the, on the relationship uh, aspect uh, you mentioned earlier with the contractors. So, uh, mm-hmm. so before I before I mm-hmm. came to the sector, I was working at Google and uh, one of the first things Angelos told me was that you need to be very careful, that, you know, okay. these people have uh, their bullshit detectors very, very high. So, you need to be very careful how you communicate and and you, so you mentioned you mentioned you know building relationships with contractors. What would you you know the construction industry has a bit of a yes. reputation of being very pragmatic, realistic, grounded. Uh, how do you go about building relationships with contractors? And yeah. um, what you know what what are the skills involved there, or what is the approach that you would take? Yeah.
1: Well, on on the relationships, uh, I mean, first of all, you need to make them feel you are part of them. I mean, you need to to align with their culture. I mean, you cannot uh, go there and uh, and tell a lesson. I mean, they will never listen to a consultant coming there and telling a lesson because they know more than you. Or if they don't do, I mean, they pretend they know more than you. So you need to you need to to be you. I mean, very low profile and trying to be. I mean, of course, having my background from construction is is easier because it's. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm recognized a bit like part of them, um, and mm. transparency I think is very important because uh, if you overpromise, uh, if you don't maintain, you're gone. I mean, it's, it's like other clients, but you know, public clients, uh, people change, etc. Contractor normally have uh, the core team normally remain the same for many years, <laughs> so they, they remember everything about what happened in the past. So mm-hmm. especially the more stay in the company, the more become part of the company. You know, and the same happens in many companies. Even when I was in TechImmune, I left because I wanted to leave because the infrastructure was not. Uh, their core business so i didn't like to be the poor uh, guy in (laughs) in the room but uh, all the people which were there from the oil and gas industry they're still there and still kept as a consultant for when they become 75 because there's such big experience and reputation and it's really a shame to let them go so contacts are really personal so you you don't need to bullshit them i mean absolutely you need to tell the truth you need to be honest even just say no i know you think about taking this way. But we also have people that the have way which prove. And you just bring facts. If you bring facts to the contractor, being so pragmatic, normally they trust you because that's if it's based on something which happened, I mean, they cannot really uh, contradict you. I mean, and if you don't have facts, you say, okay, we are trying to do this. If you want to to test, if you want to try, we can do this. We can do a small trial. I mean, we pragmatic. Say, make it work for both. And normally they're very open to discuss. I mean, they're not really. Uh, if you break a bit this initial. <laughs> Uh, role and uh, initial rule, it's, uh, I think uh, construction deals with uh, a really, really complex industry. I mean, if you think about, I was reading also uh, recently, we are, I'm representing ACOM in the European International Contractor Federation and I'm receiving the different bulletins, uh, thinking about, uh, talking about the COVID-19 impact and uh, uh, lobbying at the European level to to help uh, the industry to get the right support from, from the EU, etc. If you see, they listed, they just listed the the impact the construction industry has on the stakeholders, or the industry, or the economy of the company, of the of the country, is huge. I mean, with that responsibility on all these type of stakeholders which come from marketing person to lawyers to uh, accountants, supplier, manufacturer, uh, I mean, material suppliers. Uh, canteens food all the the really feed the full population of people i mean if you have a construction site you have three four hundred five hundred people eating mm-hmm. sleeping i mean if you understand all the mobilization around this industry i can understand why we are so conservative in many things because before changing anything you don't know the impact and you are immediately exposed to because i don't know for some reason many people don't like construction probably because they the public i mean because it's disruptive in their life you have a construction site oh again the traffic oh, it's always presented like the oh, this guy's always late this guy a bit secondly you you you're playing with the life of people so any mistake in your process i mean can be also fatal for someone so i mean mm-hmm. i think many things are really dragging the industry down we had a discussion with the european international mm-hmm. contractor federation around how can we market better the digitalization of projects uh, to sustain to to support the sustainability targets of the EU so the EU green deal uh, mm-hmm. and we had a full session one day in uh, uh, the headquarters of uh, the innovation center of Strabag in Stuttgart uh, was this January when we could still fly and move around um the outcome for that I mean who is our best worst enemy in promoting digitalization in the construction industry and actually what we came up was Okay, there is a bit of uh, industry reluctancy, risk taker, but the main thing was uh, actually that the local authorities or the, the national mm-hmm. authorities don't allow you to use certain tools by, by regulation because uh, the construction regulation said you need to use this and that, so they don't allow you to use these materials. You need to know, so the, 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 In the end, the regulatory framework is what really is refraining the industry now because mm-hmm. what i understood I, I was sitting it was ACON, uh, of course it was us it was a lawyer in mason was driving this discussion but there were mm-hmm. other companies like Skansk, uh, sorry Strabag, uh bam uh, ferrovia all company with have their own internal innovation department so they know what can be done i mean they really uh, if we found out that we could do much more as, a, mm-hmm. as an industry we want to do much more but we need to convince the who is really putting the rules of the game? I mean, the technical mm-hmm. specifications, uh, what uh, to be able to innovate more faster. So at the moment, I think the industry is moving faster than uh, uh, the regulatory framework, uh, mm-hmm. but would allow mm-hmm. us to develop, deliver more innovative right. solutions. So it depends a lot on the county, yeah, okay. the client you find yourself in. Huh? In the UK, we have we are pushed by the clients to innovate if you go to other countries more traditional even italy is pushing more etc but more traditional, even spain so you always need to go there and do a longer you are not really asked to innovate you are proposing innovations because you need to save time and money because otherwise you couldn't really deliver the way you would be bidding and the price you'll be bidding so the client base is really what would allow us to to innovate faster uh, and that's something we are lobbying at EU level and that. And that.
0: It's uh, interesting to hear that uh, the industry is, is uh, progressing more in innovation than in regulation and definitely the regulation uh, is one of the things that is keeping us back um, It was reported multiple times so it's really interesting to see this observation from the inside definitely yeah um, it, it, it sounds like you travel quite a bit um, yeah. how is that how, how, how often do you travel?
1: Well, not nothing. Now
0: nothing.
1: Are you allowed yeah. to exit
0: your house by the way now? Or or do you have quarantine No.
1: Throwing throwing beans and going shopping and uh, if you need medicines, <laughs> that's kind of thing. Um, so under um, normal circumstances. <laughs> yeah, under normal circumstances, like, normally my, my, my traveling schedule between fifty and seventy percent of my time away So wow. that's Probably after this crisis, we could learn, learn that probably I can make better use of, uh, digital, <laughs> uh, technology <laughs> to keep up with, uh, but in the end, I'm, I'm, you know, working around the EMEA in the end, there is no, no equal value in spending time with people physically and, and uh, building up a relationship with the teams, either internally or clients. Um, mm-hmm. so these calls are, uh, are useful, keep contact, but, uh, I think everyone really is looking forward to the way, to the time where we can go back to a more normal life and we can effectively meet my person. Maybe we can reduce the frequency because sometimes it can be extreme. I agree, but uh, there is nothing really uh, equal to uh, cl- close <laughs> relationship with someone to to work together and to 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 have uh, uh, good moments, bad moments. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of a way you create a team feeling. In my position, which I don't have really proper team, but a virtual teams depending on what I need to do um uh, it's, it's really key i mean i don't have an office of reference where we have my staff my reports no no. I, I, being a sector leader i i tend to to combine strategies with the capabilities and client relationships so sometimes i team up more more tightly with the client than with the team Sometimes, i mean mm-hmm. because we understand each other so i need to bring up the team to deliver what the client wants other times we just need to 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 make the team work well. So we need to combine different countries in order to to supply the, res- the right resources. So I'm very flexible in the way. I always need to adapt to a new situation all the time. And uh, so traveling around, spending time with people helps me in adapting quickly, uh, quicker to this uh, situation because, and, and that's something I was discussing yesterday with a, a very good friend of mine, who used to be the, the Senior Vice President for Business Development at Golder Associates, which is a large Canadian consultancy and he's been a bit my mentor in a certain period of my my life a couple of years working together and it was more a consultancy in italy he's an italian from turin as well and uh, and he was really he was telling me about 10 years ago when Golder decided to go all digital or every communication was need to be on video conferences and in the end they they decided to to start putting a budget aside for people to travel and to meet because this social interaction was really making things go wrong i mean people couldn't connect to each other and they couldn't work with each other and having a global organization you cannot afford that i mean that's something we need to so it's an expense that i appreciate Acon is taking on on board and they really encourage you to i have a boss who say whenever you need to travel just go because mm-hmm. it's uh I mean, it's also a level of trust you can say if you need to go i know you you go for a reason you just go to whoever to I mean dinner with a friend. I mean it's it's not exactly what I'm going to do. Um, but th- but does uh, it ever yeah. take a
0: toll on you? Uh, all this traveling does. Do, do you ever feel that it's taking a toll on you personally uh, and maybe productivity-wise as well?
1: Sometimes okay. productivity not that much because, for example, I'm missing at the moment uh, the good quality time I've on planes where I can concentrate with no distractions, and that's mm-hmm. where my creativity goes up a lot because uh, I cannot mm-hmm. connect. I don't have any disturbance from telephones or uh, of Wi-Fi, even if there is Wi-Fi on board, I don't connect because otherwise I get distracted again. Um, yeah. So that's on that particular thing. No, because I, I manage my time better. If I go to full mm-hmm. day ahead of me, I normally lose time around because it's a bit less. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, you feel um, like um, you
0: have time, and you know you're gonna. Child, yeah, you go
1: relax. Yeah. It's true that also read <laughs> things more carefully and I go into more detail, so which is not bad because if you have more time, you spend a bit more time on things. So you uh, don't go too much on intuition, you go more in, uh, in depth and uh, knowledge, which is a good uh, thing. On the personal level, of course, it's not easy because uh, I feel a stranger at home. So in the end, it's uh, reconnecting. That's another adaptation I need to do fast. <laughs> that needs right. to be done fast. So yeah, I think that's why I think hopefully. After this period, if you if you start getting into probably a more conscious traveling, a bit more sustainable <laughs> traveling, probably this period will help uh, a lot in probably uh, reducing slightly. Uh, but I cannot say I won't travel because by, with my function, unless I travel, is I don't really see any value. Uh, I, I really would impact the value I can bring to 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 the teams, and so mm. yeah, better do. Um, that.
0: <laughs> uh, how important is it for you to to have a mentor?
1: Uh, it is uh, do you uh, believe that
0: everybody should have a mentor or is it a case-by-case
2: basis
1: it depends on your face you, know? you need the mentor more technical side the more soft skills i always had uh, probably always looked for somebody to learn from um when i i was missing that a bit when i was doing the phd uh, because it was be like an independent work so you have your research you go so yeah you, you learn how to write an article probably for your know, professor but in the end but still i had a professor who helped me in, uh, because we were doing some consultancy together so i was i was uh, supporting him so i understood how to approach a client how to act in when there is a lawyer and a judge and we <laughs> were doing this type of forensic uh, uh, advisory and uh, he's been good in taking me with him and, and learn uh, yeah i always had some mentor i mean uh, on the technical side uh, you know whether it was in nottingham i have who is now my colleague you know the head of uh, the asset management team, uh, oh, wow. Bashar Akim, a great guy, I mean, I always learn so many so many things from him. But when I went to, into business development, which was something really completely new area, so I didn't have really training there. I, I had uh, a good boss who actually, the, the main lesson I had from him, he let, he let me go. I mean, he let me do things. I mean, he taught me a couple of things, like how to manage the contractual relationships, sorry, a few things, but always working with him, never really doing the big lesson of, uh, and probably the best way to to engage my attention is to make me feel like part of the process, not just somebody who needs to do imposed by someone and, and that's it <clears throat> uh, there are two people in particular which I, I learned a lot uh, one is uh, who uh, at the time the uh, senior vice president for business development in the Indian office of uh, tech the, the, this guy was really I mean, really he taught me how to think differently all the time I mean was never really disappointed because he was losing a project we said ah, maybe we can there always another way to re-enter or another way to approach it or another way to or just dismiss it because it was no sense so i always learned a lot by this guy who actually now is the senior vice president of black and Beach. so it's not he's not stupid he's really a good guy we, we still exchange some, some messages on christmas or <laughs> easter or birthday etc uh, uh and another person is this guy i told you uh pietro jar who is uh, who used to be the Senior Vice President of, uh, of uh, Business Development Global for, uh, for Golder. He, he is now in the 60s, but he still has his, his own digital company doing something of the social behavior of, uh, of digitalization. Which is really, and this is a typical out of the box thinker. I mean, this guy is so, I mean, he's an engineer. He's always been an excellent consultant in geotechnics. And uh, but he always had this vision of looking at things from outside. And uh, he also taught me in, in not going step by step, but you're telling about contractors looking at the five next steps. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's, she mm-hmm. normally looks first at the hundred steps ahead and then she draws the path back. You know, how can you get there? I mean, unless you have clear what uh, that's what I learned from all this guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every has, moment has your like father
0: it. played a particular role uh, in your in your career, given that he's a civil engineer and. Uh, yeah you consider what? him sort of a mentor for
1: you yeah uh, he gave me good lessons uh, in terms of uh, the attitude um, he always showed me even if he was considered one of the best bridge engineers in italy he was every every client respected him every contact respected him and i was you know, i was observing why they were respecting him because in the end he was doing something probably other technical people could do but uh, the way of uh, approaching people uh, the humility. Uh, he was really humile and, and low profile and everybody respected that approach because he was always telling me, don't go to some uh, site supervisor from a contractor and tell him what to do. He, this guy, even if you studied 15 years of your life on engineering, he knows much better than you <laughs> how, how how things can be done. And, and this sentence has always been in my mind. Just every time I approach someone, it's always like putting a bit below this person, because, of course, this person knows something you don't know. And and that's really the first, probably the first lesson, which allow me to to then learn <laughs> from other people, so to grow uh, in the way which, because as my friend Pietro Jarre was saying, I mean, I'm, if you do a job, you, you're not learning anything, better you change job, because even mm. if you are a senior 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 CEO, you're still not learning anything i mean maybe you you expire your time in that position or you need to better change something and that's true actually i mean you don't you don't feel uh, accomplished if you don't uh, learn something new every time so right uh,
0: you're at a position now that you know i remember when i uh, you know when i was studying civil engineering i would always mm -hmm. look up to people in your position and maybe you were also looking up to people in this position (laughs) i would never get there (laughs) Uh, I know. A, ACOM, very big company, um, great position, you know, obviously you're traveling around a lot now. Um, um, what is the thing that, you know, when when you get to, posi- uh, I'm assuming there comes a point where the excitement uh, fades away. Um, and, and, and what is what is it that keeps you motivated? It um, keeps you passionate, fired up.
1: Mm. Uh, well, again, this this uh, need for learning. I mean, when you are even covering this position and my position, previous position, and previous position again, uh, you always feel this sense of uh, uh, you are inadequate for the position. I mean, that's uh, because you always something there is something you don't know how to do properly. Somebody somebody else can do it better than you. I mean, I always this kind of internal feeling that um, I'm not really doing it correct. I mean, this guy knows better. Better listen to what he says. I mean. Uh, so, it looks exciting from the outside. When you're inside, it creates a lot of, uh, not frustration, but it's, it's really like a little bit of stress, probably should be positive stress. You, you need to be always up to this position. It's you, you probably, it's this feeling of not fully deserving this position, but you always need to gain this position every day. And that mm-hmm. was really, I mean, you're given the position because probably somebody else thought that you were... You weren't good for that position, um, but then probably by the time you get appointed, you don't feel up to it until you get into there, and it, and if you then you feel that you are ah, now are really feeling this position again, it's time to to get something else to do because uh, you you won't probably you know you won't have this positive stress in in pushing you to do always something to give the extra mile. Uh, if you don't give the extra mile in this position, you're dead. I mean, you're not. Uh, I mean, you always yeah. to have. This is why sometimes this position change people because you end the cycle. It's not that this guy is not able to do it, it just he finished the the energy or the, the contribution he could do in that role. Maybe that position needs another type of push, which is typically managing directors this way. I mean, the manager is very good in transforming the organization, some others are really good in keeping organization steady or in growing mood. I mean, that's, that's different profiles. I know a guy who is a consultant doing this temporarily. Um, say managing director uh, roles and he's really good in turning companies around I mean, once he's finished he really just spontaneously leaves the the position because uh, There's nothing else to do for me. here. Yeah. I mean everything is okay mm-hmm. Oh, almost Okay, I mean it's, it's back to a normal so he doesn't see any 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 interest in in being in that position So he finds them something else. There is always a company to restructure somewhere. So he never really falls uh, <laughs> short in, in in the request, but uh, I mean, the, the, I think this is a bit the same in any position. I mean, I think for you as well, I mean, you set your company now, what's the next step? I mean, what, unless you find something the next step to go ahead or you don't feel uncomfortable, probably something is not going the right way you want to do. And the more you become aware of what is happening around you, you want to get the next step. And so sure. we say ignorance, ignorance makes you feel very comfortable because if you don't know things, you don't really stress for them. I mean, if you start knowing things. Then become stressed because it's you feel then you don't know many more things and <laughs> keep on in this uh, in this evolution right. it should be an evolution, right uh, that's right and, and
0: and talking about evolution what it um, um where would you like to see uh construction uh, be in 10 years what would you like to see construction look like uh in mm-hmm. 10 years huh.
1: uh, well I think the more we go ahead i mean you're asking what i would like to see not what i would would yeah what would you like not what would
0: you think it would be what would you like to see
1: yeah i think uh, well um, what i would like to see uh, really where uh, construction becomes part of our uh, social living i mean i suffer a bit this detachment between uh, the perception of people (laughs) on construction and you feel like you're always doing a dirty job somehow. I mean, because of this conception of construction, which is like, okay, always disrupting the lives of people and people's lives, etc. So, what I really like to see is that construction is actually perceived as an added value to what people, the daily life of people. And that could be seen something like uh, even improving the sustainability of what we do. I mean, uh, not only creating less pollution, but probably improving the the i mean the, reducing the pollution of other sectors i mean it could be nice if you could do that mm. uh, and there are ways i mean recycling or i mean other things to i think this well, we are the, the, the largest uh, contributor of co2 emissions CO2, in the world yeah. <laughs> so we should 40% 10%. is from construction <laughs> it is that's the point <laughs> That's why we are, we are lobbying in terms of uh, we can improve the sustainability of the planet because if you start polluting less ourselves, <laughs> that would be mm-hmm. really good a good game for the planet. And how we do it, <laughs> but civilization could be a way, recycling and that's it. So th- there are many things we could... and I would really like to see peace <laughs> between uh, uh, social behavior social feeling, social perception of uh, of uh, people in general and construction. That would, that would be for me, I mean, a nice picture to draw. And probably it's not that unrealistic at the moment if we enable innovation to go through. That's, that's my, my statement.
0: Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We do hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We have many more interesting stories lined up and coming your way.